Welcome to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Currently, our pastor is going through a series entitled Lessons from the Upper Room, looking at some of Jesus' last words to his disciples and to you and me. Well, if you're looking for a church in Fayetteville or anywhere in Northwest Arkansas, we invite you to come and worship with us. We meet at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you have any questions, you can find out information at calvaryfayetteville.com. Call us at 479-442-4634 or email us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com. On this week's episode, Pastor Kirk is sharing a message from John 14, verses 1 through 11, entitled, Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. Let's listen together. I want everyone to be sure that your Bibles are open and that you can see them for yourselves. John 14, page number 901 in the Pew Bibles, because I want you to see the flow of this passage, for it says more that what you, than what you and I have often heard from this passage. In fact, I may say some things to you, quite possible, that uh, you've never thought of this passage in this way. I've never preached it in this way or taught it with some help from those who are more knowledgeable than I. Uh, I have gained some insight into what Jesus is saying here in the upper room the night before his crucifixion, that really is even much more uh, than, than what we have often taken away from this passage. Now keep in mind that Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, uh, and Jesus has uh, told them that they're, he's, he's going to be betrayed by one of them. Judas has already left to go uh, commit that act of apostasy. And Jesus has warned and told Peter that, Peter, even you will deny me. And so there was a, no doubt, sense of heaviness over this upper room Passover meal, what we know as the Last Supper. And I ask you, by way of introduction, do any of you struggle with fear? What things cause you to worry, uh, to fret, to be concerned. Maybe we don't like to admit that we are fearful. Someone has said that all of us, perhaps, at least most of us, hang on a cross between two thieves. There is the thief on one side that is the fear of our past, maybe our past becoming known. And then there is the thief on the other side that is the fear of our future. And between these two thieves, the fear of the past and the fear of the future, our joy is robbed from us in this life. And we have very little peace. And yet, during the course of this evening, peace is something that Jesus repeatedly says that he wants to give to his disciples. And he prays for that. Well, whatever you choose to call it, we all struggle with worry and fear. And at some time or the other, 
It is maybe financial worries. Maybe it's family fears. Maybe it's health fears. Worries about the future, as we've already mentioned. Fears for our children and our grandchildren. And the list goes on and on and on. And sometimes our fears can be paralyzing. We have, if not us, at this moment, we all have friends and family members who are so overcome with fear and worry that they can hardly live their lives. Well, this text digs deeply into that, what it means to be troubled in spirit, how we can be rescued from deep fears. And what's very interesting about this is if you go back into chapter 13, you're going to find a word used that Jesus gives again in chapter 14 and verse 1. And sometimes it's unfortunate that our Bibles are divided into chapters and verses. I know that's helpful to us to find passages, but oftentimes it causes us to have a mental break between what's happening in one chapter and what's happening in the next. So if you can kind of erase the idea that we've changed chapters here, understand this is just a continual reading of what's happening in the upper room. But in chapter 13, back over in, um, well, where is it? I'll give it to you a little later. In, oh, verse 21. It says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Jesus was in heart turmoil. That's what that word troubled means. He had turmoil of heart. He was troubled in spirit. And then in chapter 14, verse 1, the text that Pastor Dan read just a moment ago, his first statement is, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be in turmoil as mine is in turmoil. Now, why in the world would Jesus say that? Why would he tell the disciples they should not worry and fear when Jesus himself was in turmoil? Well, we know Jesus never committed sin, right? So, the troubling of spirit he felt was not sinful. And I think it leads us to understand that there are two kinds of heart turmoil. There are two kinds of being troubled. One of those is what Jesus had, and it was a holy troubling of spirit. It was a righteous unrest, and it was caused and motivated by love, not unbelief or fear, okay? He was troubled in spirit. It was a holy troubling of spirit, a righteous unrest caused by love, not unbelief. What was causing that for him? Perhaps a variety of things. A bitter sorrow of watching one of his apostles becoming an apostate, Judas. Don't you know that he loved Judas? Don't you know that he invested in Judas? Don't you know that he washed 
Judas's feet. And yet, in spite of all of that, in spite of all that he had seen and heard, Judas was becoming an apostate. He was abandoning the faith. He was going to burn in hell for his apostasy. Jesus was troubled in spirit about that. He was probably troubled in spirit, knowing that one of the leaders, one of the inner circle of the apostles, Peter, was going to, out of fear, deny him that evening. Jesus was facing a horrible execution that he knew what it was going to be like the next day. He could have been troubled in spirit for a variety of reasons. But for the disciples, it was not a holy troubling of spirit. It was an unholy troubling of spirit. Jesus has said, I'm going to go away. And where I go, you cannot come. And so in their thoughts, perhaps there was doubt and there was fear. Because this one that they had invested everything to follow him. And they had walked away from everything to trust in him. He was now saying, I'm going to leave you. Maybe they had feelings of abandonment. But there was an unholy troubling of spirit. It was a turmoil caused by fear and a weak faith. And we find it was a lack of love. How do we know that? Make this verse uh, a note if you're keeping notes. 1 John 4, 18. This same John that penned this gospel later wrote this in the book of 1 John, one of the epistles that he wrote. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Now listen. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. These men had not grown in their love as Jesus had uh, led uh, a perfect life of love before them. They still, str still struggled with envy, with unbelief, with anger, with bitterness, with only God knows what in their heart and life. And so their inner turmoil and fear was an unholy, an unholy troubling of spirit. So, I ask you, with the idea of a holy troubling of spirit, motivated and caused by love, or an unholy troubling of spirit, motivated by fear and lack of love, which one of those classifies best the fears that you struggle with? When you can't sleep at night for worry or fear, when your heart and mind is tormented by things that, that are outside of your control that you can't fix, are, they thing, are, are those things uh, things that are motivated by love and obedience to God? Or are they motivated by a human fear? Well, that's the kind of thing that Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled in that way. By the way, the word in chapter 13, verse 21, and chapter 14, and verse 1, terasso, is the very same word in the Greek language. It can either be good or it can be bad. So what gives you heart turmoil today? Which one of these 
keeps you up at night. Well, in our passage, in this passage, we're going to walk through it uh, pretty quickly, uh, but I want to say to you that Jesus gives five reasons. Five reasons. Now, I hate to reduce a passage to, okay, here's a checklist for you, but he does give us five reasons why you and I should not be fearful and worried and troubled in spirit. He gives us five specifics. Now, before I give those to you, let me frame this uh, with a couple of more verses. At the end of John chapter 20, that's next to the last chapter of the gospel according to John, we find two verses where John gives his purpose for writing the gospel in the way that he wrote it. The primary reason why the Spirit led him to write these words. He says in chapter 20, I believe we have these on the screen, verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Look at verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says, I've recorded this gospel so that you may believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Do you believe in him today? And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Not just life eternal, not just life hereafter, but life here and now. That you may partake of his supernatural life in this life. And that by doing so, You'll not be overcome by worry, by fear, having your spirit and your heart uh, torn up and in turmoil over earthly things. Now notice that he used that word believe twice in that verse. That is the reason for why he wrote. Now if you go back to our text, notice this, that in verse 1 he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Here he uses the word believe twice again. Twice in one verse. Just like that theme verse in chapter 20, verse 31. And look down to verse 11, the last verse of our text today, where he says, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. There's the word believe again twice. So basically, Jesus is cramming the word believe down our throats. Well, actually, he's trying to work them into our hearts. The reason for this whole gospel is that you might believe. And that by believing you'll have life eternal, but you will have life more abundant in this world, in this life. That you partake of God's life, the supernatural life, even here and now. And in this text, where Jesus is seeking to comfort the hearts of his troubled disciples, who are overcome with an unholy turmoil of heart, 
worry and fear. And as he speaks to you and me, he begins with the words believe. He ends with the words believe. Evidently, belief in Jesus Christ. Belief in his words. Belief in who he is, what he said, and what he has done is the key for you and me to deal with all of the worries and fears and challenges of this life that trouble us and that rob us of joy. Does that make sense? Have you followed me so far or have you just gone ahead and checked out? I hope you follow me because that will change your life right there. Now he gives five things for you to believe. The key to living a life free from unholy turmoil is to believe. Well, believe what? First of all, number one, Jesus said, My Father's house has many rooms, and each of you will have one. Does that sound good to you? Well, I know that some of you are like me. You grew up on the King James. And some of you resist this idea of having a room because you've heard all your life from the King James that you're going to get a mansion in heaven. Don't be so greedy. Don't be so greedy. This is an accurate translation. It is a room. And understand, it is the, it is the Jewish concept of, of a family all in one place. Their homes were built around a center courtyard where fellowship and meals took place, where they spent their life together. And around that were the rooms of the various members of that household. And when a son got married, they added another room, and the bride came to live there in that place. In my father's house, are many rooms. Aren't you glad that the Father has a large house with many rooms? Room for you, room for me. Now notice two or three things. It's a house, not a hotel. Aren't you glad that it didn't say in my Father's hotel? There are many rooms. You can stay for a little while. But you can't stay forever. It's a house to live in, not a hotel to visit. He has a house. It is a spacious house. It is huge. It is big. And there is a room designed for each of his children with you in mind. Jesus said in this book, in chapter 1, to as many, or John said, to as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the children of God. And so that caused you to inherit a room in God's house. My father's house has many rooms, and each of you will have one. Now, I, I want to say to you right off the bat that this, as I mentioned before, this text says something more than what we've heard. Because when we think of a house... We think of a place, right? A place. And we think of heaven a lot when we think of this passage. But when we think about God's house and God's heaven, 
I want you to think not so much about a place, but I want you to think about a relationship. Because that is, in fact, what is the true heart of this passage. A second reason you don't have to fear and worry today is that Jesus said, I am going to make ready the place of dwelling with God. I'm going to prepare the way, a place for you. Now, what do you think of when you hear that? He said, I'm going to prepare a place. He said that twice in this passage in verse 2 and in verse 3. We think of the fact that Jesus, after his resurrection, and he spent several more days on this earth, you remember Acts chapter 1 where he ascended back to heaven, and you've heard me say, well, at least I've said it before, whether here or some other place, that Jesus has been working on your home and my home for 2,000 years getting it ready for us. And that kind of excites us, right? But let me ask you a question. A God, a creator God, who can speak a universe into existence with just the word out of his mouth, why is it taking him 2,000 years to fix up a place for you? Now, sometimes around our house, when we hear that company's coming, it seems like it may take 2,000 years to get everything picked up and swept up and vacuumed up and made ready because company is coming. But you see, where God is is not a place that's in disrepair. It's not a place that needs some kind of laundry service or some kind of maid service. It is a place from the very beginning before we were ever even created. It was a place, this dwelling place with God was already in perfection. And it has not grown into some kind of disrepair. Jesus didn't go back to heaven to patch up the place to get it ready for you and me. What does he mean when he says, I go to prepare a place for you? What is not yet ready? What was not yet prepared? Go back 2,000 years and sit around the table, recline around the table with these disciples. What was not ready? I'm saying to you that sin, listen to me now, this is the key to this passage, sin had not yet been atoned for. Jesus was the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. But up until this moment in the upper room, the wrath of God, the condemnation, the curse of God is still unsatisfied. All the blood of bulls and goats and lambs in the Old Testament was only foreshadowing something. It was not truly taking care of our sin problem. Jesus the next day, less than 12 hours from this meal, is about to become a curse on our behalf. Death had not yet been defeated. 
Jesus is about to give his life and then take it back again. And I'm suggesting to you when he said, I go to prepare a place for you, the place he is going where he had told the disciples that they could not follow was what he was going to accomplish the next three days. His preparing a place for us in the house of God had to take place on the cross as he would hang there, the filthiest sinner that had ever walked the face of this earth because he was carrying our sins. Not one of them was his own, but he was our sin bearer. And every lamb, every goat, every bull that was sacrificed for thousands of years was pointing towards this lamb of God. And he, by being nailed to a cross, the perfect son of God, and dying for our sins. And then three days later, defeating death and the grave by being resurrected to live again. That's what he was doing to prepare a place for us. Don't make it all about you and your place in heaven. It's all about Jesus and what he did for us. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And every obstacle between us and our room and the Father's house is about to be removed in the next three days. And that's what he was talking about. I'm going to get rid of all the obstacles. Your sin primarily so that you can go and live in my Father's house. And that's what he is saying. I go to prepare a place for you, and as I go, I become the way that you get there. I am the truth that you must hold on to to get there. I am the life, the eternal life, that you will enjoy when you get there. I am the way the truth, and the life. And nobody will come to the Father except through me and my sacrifice on the cross, my life, my death, and my resurrection for you. Because Jesus this night goes to purchase our forgiveness and become the way to the Father, he makes our room not only available, but he makes it suitable and certain for his redeemed people. So, let not your heart be troubled. You see, the Father has a house, and Jesus is the one that made your room ready by his sacrifice on the cross. Number three, he says, I will be your dwelling and I will get you there. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, now listen, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Again, we think of this future. We think of this as the second coming. But I want to say to you, it is far more here and now also as it is something future. 
Before I ask you, I mean, we all, I know that if we're Christians, we rejoice in the fact that we know Jesus is coming back. Amen? You, you hope and, and are excited about that. You know it. But sometimes we say amen to that and we nod our heads to that. But in our minds and in our hearts, we fear that may not be for another million years. And the second coming, let me ask you this. How much comfort would that have been to these men around the table with him? Yeah, I'm glad for it. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come get us. Take us home. Get us out of this mess. But understand there's more to what he's saying than promising that he will come again. What does he say? I will come again and I will take you to what? Not heaven. I will take you to what? Myself. After I die and I'm resurrected, I'll come back and I'll take you to myself. The shift here is a shift in focus from a place to a person, as I mentioned earlier in the message. Keep this in mind. Where Jesus is, there is heaven. After all, what is the essence of heaven? He's saying the essence of heaven is the immediate presence of Jesus. Heaven is not just pie in the sky when I die. It is now a life with Christ. He's going through death and the cross and the resurrection from the dead so that he could be our dwelling place. What this text focuses on is not so much a return to heaven, but a reunion with Christ. And I want to tell you, that's what helps you deal with the fears that cause heart turmoil and that robs you of joy in this life. Remember, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll have the life of God here and now. And I know some are thinking, I don't know what's best for my children. My marriage is fragile and maybe unloving. My health is failing. I hate my job. I am so lonely. And on and on and on. Jesus, that I draw you to myself. That's here and that is now. Philip speaks up in verse 8 and says, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Maybe he was feeling what you're feeling, what I'm feeling. That it's great to know that the Lord has a place for us. And that Jesus is going to come back someday. But what about the issues of life right now? And that's why he gives us number four. Jesus says, Philip, the Father is already here with you. 
The Father is with you now. Listen to how many times he says it no less than six times the same thing. Jesus is giving Philip and the disciples instruction about their present realities, why they don't need to fear. He says in the first part of verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Why? Because I and the Father are one. If you know me, you know the Father. The Father is here because I am here. The second part of verse 7, from now on, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. You realize that he's been here with you all along. Verse 9, in response to Philip's request to see the Father, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? If you know me, you know the Father. Also in verse 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Verse 11, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Listen, it's not me here now and the Father out there somewhere. The Father is here because I am here. I and the Father are one. Let not your heart be troubled. Maybe Philip is thinking, but you said you were going away. What about now? And Jesus' response in this fifth reason, you have no reason to fear or worry, is a promise given not only to the apostles, but also to you and me, Jesus said, I will always be with you. Look down to verse 16 of chapter 14. Verse 16. Jesus said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. You notice helper is capitalized. That's not just a description of somebody that's going to do something that is a person, another helper, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. What is this promise? It's the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit in all of its fullness. He's going to talk about that more in chapter 14 and 15 and 16. But he's promising that this way, even though he leaves physically, that spiritually the Father, the Son are going to remain with you in the Holy Spirit the third expression of the Trinity of God. When the Holy Spirit comes, He will not just be with you where you guys walk around and go, but guess what? He's going to be everywhere. He's going to be with all believers wherever they are. 
throughout all the years to come, 2,000 now and counting since the time of Christ, the Holy Spirit will be with those disciples then and there as well. And I and the Father are one with the Spirit. And so here we sit today without the physical presence of Jesus. We've never known that physical presence but we've never been without him because the Holy Spirit is here in this room and in our hearts and in our lives with you and me. The Spirit of God dwells in us. That is the Spirit of Christ. He is called that. This is not the second coming, as glorious as that will be. This is the here and now. We don't have to wait for Jesus to come back. Jesus lives with us, within us, and walks beside us. And he is right now more, in, now listen to me, more interested in and more caring about your parenting and your marriage and your singleness and your failing health and your job and your finances and your loneliness. He is here right now more concerned with those things than you can ever imagine. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. He did not come to us as an observer. He came to us as a helper, a rescuer, a comforter. The word means one called alongside to help. So every step you take, when you don't think you can take another one and still hold up, he is there beside you with his arm around you saying and promising, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, I still love this passage. I still like to think about the fact that Jesus is going to come again, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and he's going to come again and take us to eternity, whatever that means, whatever that holds for us. But I suggest to you this passage is a lot more about right now than you've ever thought before. That when he left those disciples to go where they could not go, it was to the cross. It was to the grave. And he defeated death in the grave by being resurrected and that he has always been with them he was never going to leave them only physically but not spiritually that the father was ever present that the spirit was going to come and it was going to be the spirit of Christ dwelling in them to guide them to strengthen them and the same as his promise for you and me let not your heart be troubled because there's a place for you in my Father's house, in His heart, in His arms. Let not your heart be troubled, because Jesus has already prepared the place and the way for you. He has opened the way. He is the way. Salvation is only in Him. Let not your heart be troubled, because Jesus himself is your dwelling place. He will come and take you to himself. Heaven is wherever he is, 
Not some distant, faraway place that you could enjoy without Him. Heaven is with Him. Let not your heart be troubled, because Jesus and the Father are one. So that if you have Jesus, you have the Father. And if you have the Father, you have Jesus. Let not your heart be troubled, because Jesus has come in the Holy Spirit. He is with you now and will be with you always, not as an observer, but as an ever-present helper in time of need. Later on in this same chapter, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not like the world gives do I give to you. My peace is different. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Father, thank you that you are who you are. That you have done what you have done. That you fulfill all your promises that you have made. That today we have every reason to live lives of confidence no matter what we're experiencing. Lives of faith no matter how it's being tested supernatural lives of joy because of what you've given to us. And Father, if our hearts are troubled, let them only be troubled because of our love for you and our love for people who do not know you. And may that troubling of heart motivate us to be faithful witnesses and motivate us to live godly lives so that family and friends all around us can see you living in us, can see your love in us, and come to know your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray this in his name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 10.30 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.